Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I am actually hosting, this is my first show of 2019 that I'm hosting, and it also happens to be my birthday, and I will tell you that I am really excited to be spending it with all of you. Uh, This is probably one of the most fun things that I do in a given month. Uh, when I host this show, and I really appreciate all of you who've been out there listening for almost four years now, which is really exciting. So uh, thanks for being here. We have, as always, a really great show. We are going to be doing part two in Tax Breaks for Higher Education. We did part one last week, so if you didn't hear it, go to the archives, go listen to last week's show, and uh, you can catch that. And in office hours, we're going to be talking about what happens if you are a senior and you missed all of the early January deadlines and the deadlines that came before then. What can you do if you still want to apply to college? Uh, So we have some thoughts about that for you. But first, uh, for those of you who are just kind of getting into the process of applying to college, we're going to be talking about how to build a college list with value in mind. And I think that is incredibly important. Uh, and I'm very excited to welcome Edmit co-founder Sabrina Manville to the show to talk to us about this. Hi, Sabrina. Hi, Beth. Happy birthday. Oh, thank you. Uh, and thanks for joining today um, to, as I was saying when I introduced you, uh, to talk about a topic that I think is so important. Um, the amount of debt that people go into uh, to go to college is can be astronomical in some cases and very hard to dig out from under and isn't always worth it. Um, and I don't think it's ever worth it to go into astronomical debt, but sometimes a little bit of debt is a good thing. Um, and I do think that this question of value is, it's a super important one and one that I'm not sure everybody thinks about uh, in a way that maybe they should. So let's talk a little bit about that today. And I think my first question for you is, what is value when you think about a, a college? Yeah, absolutely. So we uh, admit, we think about college like an investment. Um, One of the things we say is that it's one of the biggest purchases that any family makes in in their lifetime. And uh, we believe it's important to evaluate it that way and to think about value, as you're saying. So um, value generally refers to both the outcomes of of an investment as well as the cost that you put in. Um, sometimes you can look at numbers that, you know, say like return on investment or ROI. Um, mm-hmm. And when you look at the um, outcomes of getting a college education in terms of your career and your earnings and kind of your financial positioning, on average, it's incontrovertible that it's a really good investment for most families in the U.S. Um, and, you know, you look at the college the college employment rates and then high school graduate employment rates and the earnings that they have, um, you know, you've seen those line charts and the numbers are much higher if you, if you get a BA on average. That said, it's not, not all investments are created equal. And as you're saying, colleges cost different amounts and they have different earnings outcomes. So 
we think you have to take into account both sides of the equation, um, look at the earnings data as well as think about price and cost and um, what your loans will look like for a given school. Right, exactly, because um, I do think that it's certainly, I'm not sure this applies actually to all of our listeners um, who, based on the questions they send to us, seem to think about a wide variety of schools, which is excellent. Um, I do know that in the area of the country where I live and Sabrina, where you live as well here in New England, there is a lot of emphasis and I think too much emphasis on the name of the school where people go. And again, maybe that is just in the area that I happen to live in, in this part of the country and the people that I happen to talk to. But um, I find way too much emphasis on the idea that, well, if you go to this school, automatically you're going to be successful without taking all of these other pieces into consideration. Um, So, well, one of the things we talk about is major choice versus college choice and how, you know, sort of the idea, I have students who will say, you know, well, I just want to go to X school and this is, you know, I want to major in business. Um, but if I can't major in business at this school, I'd still prefer just to go to that school and forego major majoring in the thing that I'm most interested in, which I personally think mm-hmm. is flawed thinking. But um, I'm curious about your thoughts on on how do you know which to consider? And, and is there one that you think should take precedence over the other? Yeah. So why don't I talk about kind of how our formula for how we think makes sense to think about ROI um, in the context of college. And um, then I'll I'll share a little bit about where we get our data and how um, listeners can think about their own calculation. So we recommend, first of all, looking at the full kind of 15 years after graduation um, to get to what we call mid-career because college, you know, the earnings, build over time and sometimes the impact of your education takes a little bit of time to kind of pay off. And so um, first it's it's important to think long-term about professional um, trajectory and what what your salary would look like over time. And I mentioned that because uh, there's actually been studies that show that humanities majors um, take longer to pay off, but in some cases um, actually pay off greater than um, a shorter term payoff in kind of a scientific field. So first look longer term. Um, Got it. And then I think it's important to compare to the data for high school graduates. So really look at what high school graduates earn over time. So that's kind of the income piece where you can see the the delta. Um, Then if you look at cost, which is an important part of the equation too, um, obviously, if you go to college, you aren't working during those four years if you're going full-time. So it's important to take that into account as a cost. Um, and colleges can really vary in terms of how much they cost you. So to your point, if you're really focused on the kind of brand of a school, you might miss out on opportunities for greater financial aid, more merit scholarships at schools that are very similar to that school, but not exactly that school. And so if there are similar schools that have pretty similar employment outcomes and kind of career services, um, but they cost very different amounts, the ROI calculation could be very different for the two. Um, And then obviously you have to think about room and board and all the costs in addition to tuition 
that you would incur going to school, um, as well as, to your point earlier, the cost of a loan. So if you're taking a bigger loan, you're also going to be paying greater interest over time. Um, so all of those costs kind of go into the calculus as well. To your question about majors and schools, there's a lot of factors that impact how much you're going to make after college. So first, your college is very important because um, that's the kind of core of career services and alumni network, uh, you know, other tools that help you make the most of the education and um, kind of land after after school. So the college as kind of a foundation is very important to evaluate and just like how strong they are in supporting students in, in working after school. Then major does matter a lot. Um, and, in, you know, you can find data on EdMed as well as other sources about, you know, how different majors uh, pay off over time. And there can be a difference in millions of dollars uh, between, you know, a going into like early childhood education versus going mm-hmm. into um, engineering. So you should follow your passion and um, obviously study what you're going to succeed in, um, but also take, take into account how that, what that's going to do for your career prospects. Right. And then in, in, uh, when you think about that, it also is what you want to pay for college based on what those career prospects are, right? So if you are really passionate about early childhood education, it doesn't make sense for you to try to be an engineer. But what also probably doesn't make sense is for you to pay top dollar for a school where um, your earning potential is perhaps going to be similar at another school that's a lot less expensive versus if you're an engineer, it might it might make sense to pay a little more for the school. And again, mm-hmm. these are just two examples and, and I haven't done the research and I don't know for sure, but um, I had a situation a couple of years ago with a student who had a full ride at a local um, university, uh, a state university, and um, also got into Boston College and ultimately wanted to be a teacher. And the local university had a great program for teachers. He wanted to stay in the area. They um, had a great track record of placement for local teachers, but he was really wanting to go to Boston College because it was Boston College and football games and all of the excitement. And um, it was his mom who we were talking to, and she was feeling like, I just feel like I want to give this to him, but it doesn't seem to make any economical sense. And she was right. It really didn't. Um, He could have gone for free and had a really great career path for himself, or he could have gone into significant debt and still probably had the same earnings potential um, that he would have. Um, Maybe not. You never know. But um, I think that's a great example of what you are talking about there with... um, Yeah, exactly. And I think of it in terms of risk also. So if you are probably going to major in something that's, um, you know, has, has more uncertainty about the career prospects afterwards, I think that, that to minimize your risk, to your point, you should look for schools that are more affordable and take less debt um, because that just makes it, makes it clearer that you'll have the means to pay back your loans after school. Right. Absolutely. I think the, the other factor that's really important uh, to take into account is where you expect to live. So we find that schools' earnings outcomes are pretty well correlated with where, they, um, where they're based. So schools that are based in metropolitan areas that have um, higher cost of living but also higher salaries um, tend to have slightly 
higher employment outcomes than, you know, schools that are in rural areas. And that's just because college is pretty regional still and, um, you know, students tend to stay in the area that they study after school. Right. Got it. And I think a lot of it's still a lot of students don't go very far away when they go to college. I think mm-hmm. you see that a lot, too, um, is they tend to go they tend to stay closer to home. At least that's been um, the experiences that we have had. So this is all great. And I'm sure our listeners are, th- are thinking, well, great. I want to consider all of these things. Um, you know, what kinds of questions can you ask or what kind of research can you do in order to get a sense for the value? And, um, you know, I know that you guys have some great quantitative data and maybe you could tell us a little bit more about that, but also are there other things that, that you encourage families to think about or questions that they can ask to find this stuff out? Yeah, absolutely. So as, as you point out, there's, there's the hard numbers and then there's some softer research that you can do when you're looking at colleges around value. So first of all, we do encourage you to look at job placement rates, at salary growth over time, uh, and student loan repayment rates. Those are all data that the colleges, um, in many cases, report to the federal government, but also that sites like Edmit uh, pull together for you. So um, you can come to our site and do some research on schools and get, get the information so that you can compare uh, across the schools that you're considering. And we also let you actually put in a, a projected major to see how the major would impact your earnings from a given school. So uh, that's number one. And we do, we'll, we're actually updating our ROI calculations um, now. So we're also going to be having a more uh, sophisticated ROI calculation soon so that you can also kind of put schools side by side. Uh, on the kind of qualitative side, we have a couple of recommendations. I think first you do want to evaluate academic advising at the school because uh, that, you know, the path that you take, the major that you take, that's going to be an important determinant of uh, the skills that you get at school and then how you're going to be able to apply them. So make sure that you'll, that you'll feel supported in terms of exploring, you know, your studies and, and where you're going to focus while in university. We also encourage students to visit the career services office when you visit a college or the career center um, and really ask, you know, what they do, what programs do they have, um, how, do stu- how can students take advantage of them. Almost no students do this or very few students do this when they're looking at colleges. You tend to focus on the dorms and the kind of dining halls and the day-to-day things, but this is one of the most important resources that are often kind of underutilized by students, and colleges are getting more and more uh, aware of, of the fact that, you know, families care about this, and so uh, there's some really great um, examples out there of um, awesome career services offices, and so you should figure out, uh, you know, how the schools that you're considering stack up on that. Um, last, if you do have access, uh, we encourage you to speak to alumni of the school because they'll often be able to speak to how strong the networks are, how did they, how are they supported in getting their first jobs, how has their degree helped them, um, and that can be a really good indication of the support that you'll have as you're doing your exploration as well. So you can check out Facebook groups or LinkedIn, sometimes have alumni uh, services 
groups that you can tap into, or you can probably ask your uh, the admissions office or the career center just to connect you to people in your field um, as you're doing your research. Yeah, and I agree. I think this is something that a lot of families don't do, and I do think it would be, it's a really important part of, of what you are doing. And just for our listeners, if you are interested in accessing some of this quantitative data that you can find on Edmit, um, you can find Edmit at edmit.me. And um, I'll also throw in a little plug. They have a free service um, and then they have a very reasonably priced uh, annual service. And then we also have a collaboration with Edmit uh, and you can get some access to our experts and, and do a couple of one-on-ones. You can get a list of colleges um, that we have put together for you based on your interests, goals, and accomplishments. Um, and so if you're interested, visit Edmit's site, edmit.me, and uh, learn more. Sabrina, thanks so much for being with us today. I really appreciate it. And this was really, you, you shared some really great and valuable information. Great. Thank you so much for having me, Beth. Absolutely. All right. We are going to take a short break. But when we come back, we are doing part two in Tax Breaks for Higher Education, so don't go away. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Have you ever experienced the joy of living? Not just aspects of your life, but the true joy of life itself. Barry Shore has. You could call him an ambassador of joy. From a successful entrepreneur to becoming a quadriplegic due to a rare disease to his ongoing recovery through swimming and physical rehabilitation. Barry now presents his gifts to others as host of The Joy of Living. All you need to do is tune in. Listen live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. 
Welcome back, everybody. I am excited, as always, to welcome my colleague, Shannon Vasconcellos, who also happens to be a former financial aid officer at both Tufts and Boston University, to the show. Hi, Shannon. Hi, Beth. So in our segment last week... I wasn't here, but in the segment that we did last week, we did part one of a two-part series on education tax breaks um, and talked about tax breaks that parents may be eligible for before and after college, um, while sort of while saving for college and repaying student loans. Um, So today we're talking about tax breaks parents may be able to claim while their kids are actually enrolled in college. Um, so did you do this last week? Somebody else do this one last I, week. I should I know. did not. It was one of our colleagues, Laurie Peltier, did it last week. All right. Got it. Well, for everyone, including me, apparently, um, we should go back <laughs> and listen to the archive version of this because it is available in last week's show. So I'll just throw that out there. My yeah. first question for you and the one that we're doing today is, um, are there tax breaks available for parents paying for college? Uh, there seem to be tax breaks for yeah. lots of things. Um, but is there one for this? There sure is, and there's actually a few of them, but the big one that benefits the greatest number of people is called the American Opportunity Credit, uh, and that is for a maximum of $2,500, a thousand of which is refundable on a yearly basis. So the way it works is if you're paying for college for either yourself or your dependent, you get a credit for 100% of the first 2000 of tuition you pay, and then 25% of the next 2000 you pay, uh, and then that's where they cut it off. You, you may be paying may more, way more than 4000 but that's where they huh. cut it off. So if you're paying at least $4,000 for college, you get to take that maximum $2,500 credit. So you're basically reimbursing yourself $2,500 of your college expenses, which is really just like a $2,500 scholarship. Um, it doesn't kind of feel quite as exciting as a scholarship, no. but they're both <laughs> free money. So it's definitely something you want to pay attention to and, and make sure that you do claim if you're eligible. Yeah, I mean, of course, right? It doesn't sound very exciting when you compare it to how much you might be paying. If you're paying $20,000, the idea of knocking off 2500 well, awesome. But actually, it is kind of awesome, right? It's free money. If someone walked up to you and said, I'm going to give you a check for $2,500, fairly certain you'd take it. Um, So take it. uh, (laughs) Exactly. Why wouldn't you? Uh, But of course, my next question for you is, are there restrictions on who can claim that credit? Of course. Yeah. Uncle Sam is never all that nice to us. So there's always some restrictions put in place. So first of all, you can only claim the credit for tuition paid for the first four years of undergraduate education. So basically fifth-year seniors, uh, grad students don't count. Um, the student has to be attending at least half time. So if you just you know went back to school and were taking one course, that wouldn't count. Uh, and there are also income limitations. So if you're single, um, the eligibility for the credit phases out between eighty and ninety thousand dollars of income. After ninety, you're not eligible. And then if you're married filing jointly, eligibility phases out between one hundred sixty and one hundred. $80,000 of income after 180, you're not eligible for that credit. Right. So, of course, the, and it's of course that that range where college starts to become, you know, really tough to pay for, right? But then the, also the colleges start to say, yeah, we don't think you really, on, on the financial aid side anyway, 
need as much financial aid. It's tough to people where you're not qualifying for much aid, um, but you're also not necessarily filthy rich. It's not easy to afford college. And that's also just about where the uh, tax credit cuts off as well, unfortunately. It's awesome. Um, you know, again, it's uh, there, there, this is one of the challenges and it always has been about the sort of middle group yeah. getting squeezed. Um, exactly. But yeah, I, I think anyone could argue that if you're making collectively one hundred sixty dollars to $180,000 a year, it is nowhere near, you're nowhere near a point where you could just sit down and write a check for $70,000 a year for college. Right. I know. But that is a conversation for another day. <laughs> Let's get back to tax breaks. Um, what if you have more than one child in college? Um, can you claim more than one American Opportunity Credit? You can. So that's a little bit of a, a bright note that it is a per student credit. So if you do happen to have two full-time undergraduate um, kids in school, you can claim you know, the 2,500 times two or $5,000 in the credit. So yes, per student, you can claim more than one. Nice. Um, so, you know, you have four kids in college. First of all, oh, my God, I don't even know how you're doing it. But sec- at least, <laughs> exactly. you know, you do have this. <laughs> um, right. All right. So you think you're you're looking at your income and you think, OK, I, I'm going to qualify for this next year. Um, is there anything that um, a parent should be thinking about in advance when paying the college bill? Anything that's going to potentially impact that? Yeah, there's a couple of things I could think of. And the first is just to be cognizant uh, in what tax year you're actually paying the bill. Um, so for the fall semester bill, which is typically due in August, it tends to be a no-brainer. It's very clear what tax year that payment belongs to. For a spring semester bill, though, you could feasibly be paying very often in either December or January. Um, And whatever year you actually uh, pay the bill in is the year you can take the credit in. So just be cognizant of that. You know, if you're wanting to take the credit, um, you know, in 2019, don't wait until, you know, January of 2020 to pay that spring semester bill. Make sure that that you're taking it, um, you're paying it in December. So whenever, it's not based on when the semester starts or anything, it's when you actually pay the bill. So just be thinking about that for those spring semester bills can get a little bit tricky. Uh, And then the other um, thing to think about for folks who happen to have a 529 college savings fund, which um, which they would have talked about in last week's episode. So if you don't know what 529s are, go back and listen to that. But if you do have a 529, be careful about how much you're actually withdrawing from the 529 to pay the college bill. Um, Because the government is already giving you a tax break on your 529 money, they don't let you like double dip and get two tax breaks for the same college payment. Um, So even if you happen to have enough in your 529 to totally pay for the freshman year bill, Um, you might actually want to hold a little bit back, save some of that 529 money for sophomore year, pay at least $4,000 out of pocket from some other source other than the 529. That way you get to claim the full American Opportunity Credit and get your whole 529 withdrawal tax-free. You just need to coordinate 
those payments. So don't take it all out of the 529. Make sure that you're paying at least $4,000 from some other source to make sure that you're able to take advantage of both tax breaks. Right. And to be, to be clear, and, and I apologize if you said it earlier, but um, it I sort of had a question which makes me think our listeners might have a question, which is, yeah. this is the tax break is for paying the college bill. Does it, what about other college expenses like room and board or, um, yeah. you know, transportation? Would that qualify for this uh, American Opportunity Credit or no? Not for this American Opportunity Credit. And it can vary. Like, and it, it is different for different things. So like the 529 that we're talking about, you can use for room and mm-hmm. board. The 529 um, is very specific that you, it can just be used for payments towards tuition and required fees and required books and supplies. Um, so it's a very specific definition. So you can certainly use the, you know, the whole 529 to pay the, the Roman board. It's a qualified expense for 529s. And you can pay much of the college bill um, also out of the 529, but make sure you're paying 4000 of the tuition and required fees uh, um, from some other source. Um, right. so yeah, it can get tricky with the different um, qualified expenses is what they call them for the different breaks. Right? For the American Opportunity Credit, it's basically tuition required fees um, are, are essentially what you can pay with that American for to claim the American Opportunity Credit. Right. Right. But so I think that is a really good point in that um, you could still use a lot of 529 funds to pay for almost everything, but don't pay out of pocket for things that you could use the 529 for that won't impact the American Opportunity Credit. So um, anyway, I probably confused the issue, but I am I understand it better (laughs) now. So hey. (laughs) All right. The American Opportunity Credit is the big one. Obviously, we've just spent a lot of time talking about it. But are there any other college tax breaks that our listeners should know about? Yeah, there are a couple others. Uh, the American Opportunity is tends to be the most valuable for the most people. Um, and, and you can only claim one break per student. So generally, if you qualify for American Opportunity, that's the one that you want to take. But there are some others. Uh, another big one is the lifetime learning credit. Um, and it's, that one is not so strict about the enrollment status of the student. So that's a great one um, for students or parents of graduate students, part-time students, those fifth-year seniors, because you can only get the American Opportunity for four years. Um, those are all people who will want to probably claim the lifetime learning credit. It's not for as much money as American Opportunity. There's a maximum of 2000 whereas the American Opportunity is 2500 um, And the income limits are lower, and it caps out at 66000 of income for singles folks, 132000 this past year for married folks. Um, so it's not quite as valuable unless people qualify, but it is more expansive in terms of the enrollment status of the student, which can be important for a lot of people. Um, so lifetime learning is another one. Um, another potential one is called the tuition and fees deduction. Um, if based on your income and your child's enrollment status, you don't qualify for the others, <laughs> tuition and fees deduction is a possibility. Um, one catch with that is, that is that that particular deduction is currently expired. Um, the government may extend it for another year. It basically expired a few years ago and then 
they've been retroactively extending it for the past couple of years. So that one's hmm. kind of in limbo right now. Um, but that's another possibility. Um, and there's the other thing I just wanted to mention, uh, having to do with 529s again, um, that many states give you a state tax deduction when you contribute to your state's 529 usually. Um, and in a lot of states, not everyone, but in a lot, you can keep contributing even if you're going to be immediately withdrawing money to pay the tuition bill. So in a lot of states, it's actually valuable to keep using your 529 basically as a pass-through to pay your tuition bill. So that's something for parents paying for college to look at as well. We tend to think of the 529 tax break as something uh, you know, for parents of younger kids who are in that mode of saving for college, not really when you're paying, um, but even when you're in the midst of paying for college, you may still want to use a 529. Like if you have to pay a $10,000 tuition bill, you could put the 10000 in the 529 and in a lot of states immediately withdraw it and pay the bill. And now you've got yourself a $10,000 state tax deduction. Um, wow. So that's just something for folks. To, to look at if you're in a state that does give a state tax deduction for 529s as well. Interesting. That is, that is, has one, has some interesting potential. It does, If yeah. our listeners, yeah, I mean, $10,000, that's our tax break anyway. It's not like they're handing you $10,000. Yeah, but, it depends um, on the states. There are some states that give 10000 some states, we live in Massachusetts, it's a much lower tax break. But yeah, look at your state um, tax regulations, and, and there may be a benefit there to keep contributing while you're paying for college. Got it. Okay. If our listeners want to get more information on college tax breaks, where is a good place for them to go, other than the tax code? Yes. <laughs> so it's not, not quite that you don't want to be looking at the tax code in much, most circumstances. Very complicated. But a more user-friendly sort of interpretation of the tax code is an IRS publication called Publication 970. If you just Google IRS Publication 970, it'll get you there. And that's the kind of more readable IRS document <laughs> that talks all about all the different education tax breaks. Um, so that has information on the American Opportunity, Lifetime Learning, 529s, all of that good stuff. So definitely check out Publication 970, scintillating reading, believe me. <laughs> but it's still more scintillating than the tax code itself. So uh, that is some good yeah, advice. Um, any last thoughts on this issue of getting tax breaks um, before we wrap? No, I, I, I guess the one thing I would say is just make sure you keep good records because you're going you're gonna to want to have those on hand when you do your taxes. If you were to ever get audited, you'd need to have you know receipts for these tuition bills. I think Laurie talked about it last week um, about what kind of documentation you would get from the schools about college payments. So, so go back and listen to that, um, that episode. But yeah, just keep good records. Make sure you're keeping all of these. And that would apply to everything having to do with taxes, but make sure you're keeping tuition, um, bills and receipts and things like that. Awesome. Shannon, thank you so much for joining us today and giving us such great information and advice. You are so welcome. My pleasure. All right. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, uh, we're doing office hours. And in office hours, we are talking about what do you do if you missed all of the early January deadlines? Can you still apply to college this year? Well, we're going to let you know. So we'll be right back.
If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips is an insider's glimpse at a life from a psychological perspective. It's a look at what matters to us. Why do we laugh? How do we cope with stress? Are men and women really that different? What is it about our relationships? How are they formed? How they work out? And why they sometimes don't? Every week is something new to engage you. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll turn up your perspective on life. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everybody. We are back, and it's time for Office Hours, and I'm very excited to welcome my colleague, uh, who is also a former admissions officer at both Barnard and Whittier Colleges, um, and a fellow Cornell alum. I'll just throw that out there today for no reason other than go Big Red. (laughs) Um, Mary Sue Yun. Hi, Mary Sue. Hi, Beth. How are you today? (laughs) I'm good, thank you. I'm I'm having a good day, right? So why not? Um, (laughs) uh, All right. Some people who may not be having as good a day might be some seniors who suddenly woke up or their parents and said, wait a second, the applications were already due? What do you mean that um, a lot of schools' deadlines have already passed? Um, I really want to go to school next year, and what does that mean for me? Um, And Mm -hmm. I would say we get a handful of families every year inquiring about our services um, who are in exactly that situation, either just didn't realize, weren't paying attention, or really weren't ready. Um, and so we try to help them as best we can. And I think we have some uh, advice and, and information we've gained over the years that we can share with our listeners that would be helpful to them. Mm-hmm. Um, before we get into the, you know, sort of families who really just sort of are just now getting started in the process, um, any advice that you would have for a family where maybe there was a legitimate reason um, why they missed the deadline? They, they more or less mm-hmm. have been working towards those deadlines and were ready to go, but then something happened. Any mm-hmm. advice and, and thinking about what those legitimate reasons might be um, would be helpful. 
Right. Yeah, and uh, when I was an admissions officer, we would get phone calls about late applications every year, um, and we would assess them to see whether they were legitimate reasons. Um, but I would say really every year we granted a few students a sort of an exception to the deadline and allowed the student to, to submit an application late. But, you know, just in the last few years, I know that there has been uh, a number of major hurricanes right around early deadlines in November, and so schools have often extended deadlines because of those. Um, in this past year, um, the University of California system extended deadlines because of the California wildfires. Um, so there are some, you know, larger natural disaster kind of things that have happened that certainly would be an extenuating circumstance, but it could also be something that's a more personal or family-related um, difficulty that is an extenuating circumstance. I, as an admissions officer, would field phone calls from students uh, that, you know, maybe had just had a death in the family and just really, um, you know, that had kind of thrown them for a loop for a couple weeks and they were not able to get um, their applications in on time. And so those kinds of inquiries are best coming um, as soon as possible, you know, given mm-hmm. any difficulties, obviously, that the student is coming, is coming from, but uh, hopefully with the support of the high school counselor so that um, the student can get, if they are granted an exception and are able to still apply to that school, um, be able to get that information in as soon as possible. So as soon as you are able to do so, I would say contact the admissions office, ask to speak to someone, um, and see if they might grant you an exception. It doesn't, oh, it's not always granted, um, but, it, it, you know, admissions officers are human beings, and we did understand sometimes there were circumstances beyond the student's control that prevented them from getting their materials on in on time, and we wanted to be sensitive to that and still allow them to apply, even if the deadline had passed. Got it. Okay. And I think, to be clear, we're talking about really legitimate reasons. And if you think mm-hmm. you have one, you should contact. But if if it's just, well, I just kind of didn't, you know, I was procrastinating and I didn't get it done, I would say yeah. time to move on. Um, yeah. The a school might tell you, sure, go ahead and send it. But basically, at that point, you are really going to be behind the eight ball because mm-hmm. we would get a handful of those every year at Penn. And um, it was really hard to advocate in committee for a student who'd submitted an application a week past the deadline, two weeks past the mm-hmm. deadline with no reason um, why, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when so many other students had managed to get it in on time. Okay. Right. Let's talk about then the other um, which is, well, for starters, uh, do all colleges have deadlines that are done as of January 1, January 15th, or are there still some options out there? There are absolutely still options out there. Uh, so first of all, um, probably the most option, open option is that there are schools that have rolling admission, meaning that they have no deadline. Um, they will accept applications any time throughout the student's senior year until their incoming class is full. So um, they will still accept applications for rolling admission schools into February, sometimes into March or April, um, and they are trying to get enough students to bring in, in their freshman class. And so mm-hmm. certainly the earlier the better, but um, those are schools that, that don't have a deadline. Um, 
even now talking in kind of late January as we are, um, there are schools that have February 1st deadlines. Uh, there are schools that, you know, might have February 15th or March 15th or March 1st deadlines. So there are still deadlines that are upcoming and there's a few different ways that you can find those. Um, probably the easiest way um, that I found is, is by going on to the Common Application website and under the Common Application College Search section of, of their website, um, there is a part of that search feature that says, I'd like to find colleges that have application deadlines uh, after a certain date. So you could put in today's date and say, after today, what schools um, do have still deadlines available or have no deadlines? Uh, and just I did a quick search this morning and there are literally hundreds of colleges still open that are still showing up on that search feature. So that is certainly um, one great way to find some places uh, that may be still um, very much in the mix of accepting applications. Got it. Got it. And then um, every year there is um, a list that NACAC puts out. Can, and, mm-hmm. and can you tell us a little bit more about what it is, why they do it, um, and how that can be useful to families. Right. So, so NACAC is our professional organization, the National Association for College Admissions Counseling, and um, they do keep a website um, that is um, – the resources tends to not be available until sort of later on in the spring. I want to say they generally put it up around April or May, but they put mm-hmm. up a list of colleges still accepting applications, and that's really a resource for – guidance counselors and college counselors within high schools um, to help find homes for those students who maybe were a little later coming into the process that are still looking for a college. Um, and it's it, it's beyond the scope of what um, the common application search does because it, it will include non-common application schools and, and, you know, other schools nationally. But basically any college that reports back to NACAC that they're still accepting applications. Um, and sometimes schools are on there that have that have had a deadline, and they'll say, you know what, we want to have a few more applications this year. We're not quite full up on our enrollment, so we would like to have some more applications. So we are still going to stay, say we're still open and we're still accepting applications. So um, the colleges report that information back to NACAC, um, and then NACAC posts a list up on their website um, for uh, students and, and counselors to be able to look right. for. And their website is just NACACnet.org, um, which I, we can uh, put up, I guess. So NACAC, N-A-C-A-C, net, N-E-T, dot org. Got it. Okay. And as Mary Sue said, that's likely going to go up in the spring. So if you're just hearing this now and thinking, oh, well, I'm sure there aren't any more schools still accepting applications, um, that you can go to the NACAC website and check that list out. And if you are mm-hmm. sort of thinking about what your options are, sometimes it's surprising. Some of the schools that show up on NACAC.net mm-hmm. are in NAC on this list. Um, I wouldn't say it's typically schools. Um, there are a lot of schools on that list, and every once in a while I'm surprised by someone who's on it. So mm-hmm. that is to say that there could be some interesting options. And if you are looking now and not seeing schools that are particularly interesting to you, it might be um, worthwhile to keep an eye out for that NACAC list and see if there's anything else that you'd want to add at that point. Um All right, so you've looked at the list of colleges. Maybe nothing looks particularly great to you, um, 
or the schools that are still accepting applications just don't seem like the best fit for a variety of reasons. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're located in the wrong place or they are, um, you know, they don't have the major that you're interested in, whatever the reason. Um, What are the options for for those students that you would advise? Um, They've kind of missed their window for the schools they're Mm -hmm. interested in this year. What do you do now? Mm -hmm. Well, I think that there's still a few options available to a student, and certainly there's there's many paths towards a four-year college degree, and not every student has a completely linear upward trajectory that's, you know, that's clear from point A to point B. Sometimes students kind of take a sti- sidestep for a little while and then um, zigzag back. And so, uh, but I think that the, the a few ways to think about um, what to do next um, would be, uh, I sometimes advise a student to take a gap year, um, meaning that they take a year off from schooling, maybe they do some volunteer work, maybe they travel, um, maybe they have a a job during that year, and at that point during the year, they could those deadlines will come around again for schools that had January first or November deadlines, um, and the student could apply during the gap year uh, to any colleges that they would want. So that is another mm-hmm. possibility to just delay college entrance for a year and apply at that point. I would say a little bit of a difficulty in applying from a gap year, which is why sometimes I don't advise it as much, is that um, you will oftentimes, you're, you've graduated at that point from high school, you've moved on to whatever that next step is, again, whether it's volunteer work or a job or travel, and you do have to coordinate a good number of th- things back through your high school. So mm-hmm. sending in your transcripts, sending in letters of recommendation still needs to be done through the high school, um, and you're no longer in that high school as an enrolled student. So that can be logistically a little bit tricky, but certainly it is manageable and doable. There are many students who do it every year. Um, so a gap year might be a possibility for some students. Uh, and another possibility might be uh, that the student could enroll at a community college um, for a semester or for a year. Most community colleges are open enrollment, meaning that they will take any students who choose to enroll at the school. There is no selectivity in their admissions process. So generally, students can enroll at the community college really up until the first day of classes uh, in the fall. So you could decide to do this, you know, even in August um, after you graduate from high school, you can decide to to enroll at your local community college. Um, Be aware, though, that if you are enrolling at a community college, most of the time that would mean that depending on the amount of course load you take, you would probably be considered a transfer student when you eventually apply to four-year colleges. So you would not be coming in as a freshman. You wouldn't be able to sort of uh, erase those credits. You'd generally be coming in as a transfer applicant should you apl- choose to apply to four-year colleges later on. Um, but right. that can be a great way for students to continue their stu- schooling, maybe get some of those general education classes done and underway, and then still be able to have a chance to move on to a four-year college uh, environment later on in their higher education career. Yeah, and I think the benefit too, as I think you just mentioned, is just it can be cheaper. And also, um, right, as we've talked about on the show, um, and we've done a whole show about this, just the, there is a path in some states, there is an intentional path from Mm -hmm. community college to the state's um, uh, 
state system, the four-year university mm-hmm. system, and nowhere more prominent than in the in California, where the University mm-hmm. of California system is designed to take a significant number of transfers every year and predominantly from the community college system. So um, particularly if you've missed the University of California system's deadlines, which uh, opened in, on uh, November 1st and closed on November 30th, so long ago already at this point, mm-hmm. um, that can be a really excellent pathway to uh, a four-year degree. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, going back to what you were saying about the gap year, I agree that um you know, when students plan to take a gap year, I'm often encouraging them to apply first and then ask for the deferral for the reasons you mentioned, because in some cases you're really, you're going to do so much more, um, so much more organizing that you're going to have to do because you're not right there in your school. So if you do find that you're going to have to take a, de- uh, a gap year because you've missed the deadlines, um, I would work very closely with your high school's guidance counselor, college counselor, whatever exists in your high school to make sure that you have everything in place so that when you are applying in the coming year, the first of all, the counselor knows that you're going to be applying and you might even be able to get some materials together and um, have it, you know, sort of already have a plan for how that's going to work. That's one thing that you could try and do if um, if this year you're not going to ultimately apply to college and you're going to wait at, and do it after that gap year. Um, any other thoughts or, or advice that you have, Mary Sue, for these families? I would just say that, you know, uh, there's many paths towards that degree. And so certainly first is a first thought is you want to be enrolled next year in a school. First, look at the those deadlines to see if there's schools that are still accepting applications. And then, again, if that doesn't work out, maybe then look at what the alternative options might be um, for next year in terms of that gap year community college. But um, I think that any of those pathways can be a great way to go about eventually getting your four-year degree and, and achieving that goal. So, um, don't despair. And even though there's probably a lot of buzz in your high school right now about friends who are, you know, in the midst of applying, um, there's still lots of time to sort of figure all that out and to still get some applications in and to still figure out your next step. Absolutely. Um, and well said. And yes, all is not lost. I think that's the key. <laughs> um, oh, thanks so much for being here today, Mary Sue. I really appreciate it and all your insight and advice. Thank you, Beth. All right. Uh, Thanks to Mary Sue and all my guests. Next week, I am actually back hosting, and um, we're going to be talking about uh, how to plan for a career in the performing arts, if that is your passion. Um, And we're also going to be answering your questions. So it's another one of our listener Q&A segments. Um, If you have questions... Uh, I can't promise they're going to get on tomorrow's show but um, or the show that we're, we're going to air next week, but um, send them to us because we do this frequently. Gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Again, it's gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Um, we mentioned our archives a number of times today. Uh, we have... Uh, been doing this show for almost four years every week. So there are a lot of shows out there for you to listen to. Um, And we also have our blog. uh, And I would encourage you to check that out, blog.getintocollege.com. And uh, we're also on Facebook. So like us on Facebook and uh, join in the conversations that we're having there. Um, You can also sign up for free downloads of this show on iTunes. So if you're going to get it from iTunes, just do us a favor and rate the show while you're there. 
And don't forget, we are here every Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.